I believe that's it for announcements. This morning, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 27 this morning. And we're going to go through 13 and verse 13. So the entire chapter of 13 uh, we'll be doing. Since we're starting in the middle of the chapter, I'll let you know what has gone on to this point in chapter 12. Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church and their gifts. And he's told them, you have a diversity of gifts. Lots of different gifts going on uh, with you. But it's the same spirit. It's the same God. And, and he's saying that all of your, he said, he said all of your gifts and the manifestation of your gift or what your gift looks like in this world or in this church, it's, it's for the benefit of all. They fit together because they were having some difficulties figuring out how exactly their gifts work together. And he's telling them that the complete body of Christ, it may have great gifts, it may have seemingly lesser gifts, but he says, in in actuality, give honor to the lesser gift because you're all in this together. You are indeed the body of Christ. So today we are going to look at the body of Christ, the church. We're going to look at and consider how we fit in the body of Christ. And we're going to look at what makes the body of Christ most effective in using those gifts. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your great love for us. And we do pray that our hearts would be open and, our, and uh, Lord, the eyes of our understanding would be open as we go through your word this morning, that you'd speak to us, that you'd change us, and uh, Lord, that you'd bring uh, correction and you would bring edification and, and you would bring comfort this morning because of the teaching of your, of your word. Lord, be glorified in our time and we just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So take take a second here. Look to your right or to your left, down your aisle. Go ahead. It's all right. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you're in this together. Individuals, certainly. All doing your own thing. But you're the body of Christ. What, what does that mean if you attend Rocky Mountain Calvary? I hope it means that this is much more than just a church that you attend. And you feel good when you go out. I hope that you feel like I'm part of the, I'm part of the body of Christ. And I hope that we as Rocky Mountain Calvary feel that we're just part of the body of Christ here in Colorado Springs. In the world. It says you are the body of Christ and members individually. So for the, for the sake of the gospel and to present Jesus to the world, he's put us together as individuals. And he's given us gifts. In Colossians 1 and 24, Paul said this to the church at Colossae. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. He was being persecuted for the sake of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church. You're the body of Christ this morning. The folks that you looked at down the aisle. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're the body of Christ. He told the Ephesian church in chapter 1, he said, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith, 
in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above any principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul just told the Ephesian church, Jesus, the work was finished on the cross. He has ascended to his rightful place with the Father. And he's left you and me and the body of Christ to be him. To be him. All that he was, all that he did. The things that he did, he's left for us to do. The Corinthian church, Rocky Mountain Calvary, every church that puts Jesus at the center, Jesus at the head, lets Jesus lead, has become the body of Christ to a lost and dying world. You see, our gifts, our spiritual gifts, when, when we use them pro properly, we look like Jesus to a lost and dying world and to each other. Ambassadors for Christ. You see, an ambassador does not go on behalf of themselves. They go on behalf of Jesus. We go on behalf of the body of Christ when we do what we do. Are we doing that well? Do you see that as a place in your life? I, I, I hope so. I hope, that, I hope that church means that to you. It's more than just some good worship, a good kick in the pants, a reminder of how much God loves me, and I go and do my thing throughout the throughout the rest of the week. I hope it's more than that. Because we are the body of Christ this morning. Something to consider, something to pray about. Look at verse 28. It says, And God has appointed, or set, the old King James says set, God has appointed these in the church. These gifts make up his body. In other words, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 18, just a little ways back, you can look at that. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he, what, pleases. What, may, what pleases him, what pleases the Lord Jesus Christ is to set you in your place, me in my place, this church in its place in Colorado Springs, and to do things through it. Have you allowed the Lord in your life enough to find a gift, to find how you're supposed to use that gift 
Is that, is that something that you think about when you think of Rocky Mountain Calvary, when you think of your church? I hope so. I hope so. Much more than appointing an office of authority, this particular passage and the context is members, each of us, gifted individually, just doing, doing our thing, doing our thing for the Lord. And he says, and God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles or sent out ones. Now, the 12 apostles had a unique responsibility and they were eyewitnesses and they all gave their life for the Lord. And they were responsible for watching and seeing that the church, you know, stood on its legs, you know, and, and, and all, all of the things that they did. A special office, a special time, but yet there are still sent out ones. Kitnali was sent to Africa. Sean Rafferty, a pastor on staff here, was sent to Chihuahua and started a wonderful work there and since has come back. We sent Rich Bailey out to the Windy City in Ellicott and he's out there sent out to do his thing out there. You know, so there are still those sent out ones, albeit the 12 had that special place in the church. Second, he says, prophets. Now the gift and ministry of the prophet is seen in 1 Corinthians 14. If, if you have your Bible and you'd like to turn over there, you can. 14, 1 through 4, Paul says, Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. In other words, this is a God-gifted prayer language for the individual, to edify the individual. He says in verse 3, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Think about it. Does our pastor Eric, not each and every week, edify us from the Word of God. Build us up in the Word of God. Exhort us every single week. Does He encourage us to get off of our spiritual couch? Does He comfort us every week? Does He remind us of God's great love for us and God's grace toward us? That's that gift working through Eric. And, and many other have it in this church. And, and uh, pastors and leaders and there there are some there are, there are some leaders that just do this for the pastors at this church and they encourage us and they edify us you see third teachers so we see now that well if if Eric has the gift of prophecy he definitely has the gift of teaching and so i can have more than one gift yeah you can have more than one gift you can have as many as God wants you to have. Have you asked him, Lord, what's my gift? What's my gifts? Give me what I need to be your servant here. Teachers, we're blessed with teachers. Teachers in, in children's ministry. Teachers for our men's study and our ladies' studies and, and our, in our junior high and our senior high. Teachers in school discipleship edifying and teaching and, and, and giving, giving out the word as, as we disciple. He says, after that, miracles or gifts of miracles, then gifts of healings, 
helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Now, what I want you to see from this passage is that who was the sent out one to us? Jesus. Who was the prophet to us? Jesus. Who was the teacher when he walked this earth? Jesus. Who did miracles? Who, who had gifts of healing? Who, who helped? Who organized the 12 and beyond that, the 70? Jesus. You see, this list is what Jesus did when he was here. And, that, and now the word tells us Jesus still does it through his Holy Spirit, through you and through me. That makes church so much different. It makes church and us realize that we're here for God. You're going to get edified. You're going to get blessed. God's going to use you, but only if you realize I'm a, I'm a special part. Here at Rocky Mountain, I have a special part in the body of Christ. Jesus wants to work through me. And he says in 29, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Verse 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts, plural. You can have more than one. You can have many as God wants you to have. Are you asking, what do you earnestly desire in this life? What do you earnestly desire in this life? What gets you going? What wakes you up in the morning? What puts you to bed? What motivates you? Is it that you are part of the body of Christ and you need to find out what God wants you doing? I would submit to you if we understand the total work of the cross and, and that we are saved from our sin and there's not a better gift that I could have received and we really understand that the next step is God, I owe you me. And you want me. <laughs> That's a miracle in and of itself, right? God wants us. And he wants to equip us and use us. The best gifts for each of us is anything God empowers us to do by his Holy Spirit that blesses as many people as possible both inside and outside the church, whether it be two, five, or a thousand. That's the best gifts. Gifts are good. We should seek them. We should ask God for everything that we need to represent his body to this world in our homes, in this church, at work, spiritually gifted people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that us? I hope that's us. That's what we want to be. That's why we teach the word. That's why we exhort. That's why we encourage so that we can be that that we can be a church that moves through the power of the Holy Spirit in our community. Something that Jesus did that he now wants to do through you. What is it? What is it? Look at verse 31 again. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. 
A better way, Paul? I mean, you just kind of described it, you know, some awesome gifts. And just told all of them, hey, if you have your, your gift and you're, you're working it and you're doing it, and it's, that's, that's good. And indeed, it is excellent. But what did Paul say? I'm showing you a more excellent way. I want you to be the most excellent you can be. I don't want you to just settle for thank you, Lord Jesus, you, you saved my soul. That's an awesome start, and that's, that's, that is the place we have to be. And I'm not underestimating that at all. We live it, we lean on it, we thank God for it. But he wants to take us beyond that. And Paul says, I, I show you a more excellent way, an even more excellent way than supernatural talent and ability, because that sounds pretty fantastic. And indeed it is. We have many gifted people at Rocky Mountain Calvary, both on staff, not on staff, volunteers, doing lots of amazing, fantastic things. Paul says, I show you a more excellent way. I show you a better way. Let's find out what that way is. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love. Now that word love is agape love. It's a sacrificial love. It is a love that's going to hurt. It's a love that might cause me to suffer. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not that agape love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. He says, without love, it's noise. Imagine being able to go to any country, any city in any country, any dialect, and communicating what you'd like off the menu or communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. What, a, what an incredible gift. Any language, all tongues? You see, Paul, Paul here is, being, is speaking in extraordinary terms for a reason. He's saying, even if you had that kind of magnificent gift to speak in any language, but didn't have love, you'd just be a little bit of noise. You'd just be bothersome. It'd just be frustrating for the hearer. Clanging symbol, right? Clanging symbol. Paul writes, if you could, if you could speak in all those languages, but you had not love, you had not agape, you had not sacrificial love, you had not a caring love, the kind of love that went to the cross, just noise, just noise. Look at verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. Nothing. Once again, imagine everything that anybody could ask you about God, about Jesus, about His Word, about salvation, about, yea, the mysteries of the universe. Like, why do some men keep their hair and others do not? Even if you had all of that wisdom, right? And you had not love. It says you have nothing. It won't get you anywhere. It won't take you anywhere. If I could answer them all, but had not agape, didn't pick up my cross, didn't die to myself, didn't think of others, I would have nothing. If I had all faith, if I could, if I could actually remove the mountain, if I could believe that 
you would be healed. And you were healed, right? If I had that kind of faith, if I had the kind of faith that got you through a tremendous financial burden, and it, and it, and it worked, my prayer for you worked because I had that much faith, but I had not love. I have nothing. Nothing. Agape love, a hurting love, a selfless love. Look at verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. It profits me nothing. Wait a minute, Paul. Wait a minute, Paul. You could die for your faith and not have love? How does that work? You could give everything you had to the poor and have not love? How does that work? What, what, what in the world does that look like? Well, I would submit to you that God made us very complex creatures. And we can convince others and even, yes, ourselves of how great and magnanimous we are and how talented we are. And we could even, yes, Paul says, die for our faith and do it in a selfish way. That cuts to the very thoughts and intents of your heart that only God knows and only each of us knows where we're at with that. When David said, search me and know me, Lord, and see if there's any wicked way in me, any way, God, see if there's a speck of something that's not right. You see, because it's those specks and those un, those undealt with issues that we have of selfishness that gets in the way of love. It gets in the way of love. Don't deceive yourself, Paul says. Your greatest act, your greatest talent, your greatest spiritual gift God gave you. Yes, indeed, even that you can use for your personal selfish glory and not for God's glory. It's kind of like this. You, let's, let's get in your mind's eye your car. The car, your dream car. When I was in high school, my, the one I dreamed of was Porsche 911. Black lacquer. Beautiful thing to look at, right? I got as far as the poster and that's it, right? What's your perfect car? It just, it looks wonderful. 16 coats of lacquer paint. It's, it's, a, it's a thing of beauty. Now, imagine my Toyota Tacoma, 1997, with dents all around it on its third paint job that's going bad as well. Okay? You got that picture? Now, your car doesn't have gas. But mine does. And we're stranded. What's going to get you unstranded? My car. My car. You see, love is the fuel that makes your gifts and my gifts run. That car might be beautiful to look at. You get in it, you see all the bells and whistles, and it seems like, oh, that's just the perfect thing. Without gas, it does nothing, right? It just sits there and looks pretty. We don't want to be a church that just sits here and looks pretty. 
love, which is very, very difficult. This is, this is not a love where I get. This is a love where I give and I sacrifice. That's going to take us places as, as the body of Christ. So what does it look like? Verse 4, Paul says, Love, agape, it suffers long, or in other translations, it's patient and is kind. So here's how it goes, right? Agape, it suffers and it suffers and it suffers. And it's patient and it's patient. And all the while, it's kind. That's kind of the kicker, isn't it? Because sometimes we can endure and we can be patient and we can suffer and we can suffer because we know that's what we're supposed to do. But see, what happens in my life a lot of times is once I do that, then I get to this place and I'm done and I'm expecting something back from it. And it can make me a little testy that I've spent all this time suffering and being patient and I've got nothing for it and I can become unkind. Paul says, love is long-suffering, long-suffering, and then it's kind. It's kind. It doesn't begrudge all the suffering. It doesn't begrudge all the pain. It doesn't begrudge all the patience, even if it didn't get. You see, because love did that for the Lord. Love did that for the Lord. That's difficult, what I just said. That's impossible without God's help. Impossible. Love suffers long and is kind. The love that wants to be kind is the love that understands that those who cause it to suffer the most really kind of need it the most. And they sign up for it. Verse 4, love does not envy. In other words, in a jealous way, love doesn't look at another person or another position or another life and say, man, you know, I'm just coveting, wanting, jealously wanting that life. No, love says, I'm so, I'm so glad that you're blessed. What a blessing that you're blessed. You see, love looks at others first and not themselves. That's an act of God. Verse 4 again, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Now, we live in a society of entitlement that parades itself, and we learn uh, in our media to parade yourself. (laughs) I would submit to you that that's what Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all about. Now, you can do that in a humble way, and you can use that as a tool for, for the Lord. You can also use it as a very selfish tool to be thinking about me and how much other people want to see what I'm doing. Right? doesn't parade itself. It doesn't think too highly of itself. It doesn't toot its own horn. It's not puffed up. Verse 5. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Now, the reason I think these two go together is because when you think of being rude, if you've ever been rude or you've seen rude people, a lot of times that person being rude doesn't recognize what they're doing because they're so incredibly selfish at the time. What? They're thinking about them, right? And so, and and how they've been inconvenienced, and so they get rude. We've all done it. We've all done it. Certainly had a, a, a rude kind of spirit, certainly when we wanted to, 
you know, say something we probably shouldn't or those times when we let it slip out indeed and we were rude. Love watches itself so that it's not rude. Love, love seeks others' well-being as well as their self. You see? Verse 5 again, love is not provoked or it does not see when others do it wrong. <laughs> what a gift. What a gift. In other words, that kind of love turns the other cheek. It forgives. It says, oh my goodness, you just hurt me and, and, and I want to I know why because I, I want to be right with you rather than you've hurt me and now I'm provoked, right? So I'm driving to church yesterday. My wife had a, a, had a function here and I'm driving down to help her. I'm coming down Austin Bluffs and I'm coming to one of the lights at the bottom of the hill and, and there's this car there and the light's green and a bunch of cars are barreling down. You know that, I mean, Austin Bluffs at that point is traveling 50 miles an hour and, and he's not moving. I'm a little ways back and I'm thinking, okay, what, what's going on here? What's going on here? And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to look back. I'm going to lane change and maybe just kind of go around him. And I see this squirrel jump out. You know, it's like, okay, he was, he was waiting for the squirrel, you know. So I make my lane change, and, 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 then, and then I'm through the light, and I, and I go to get back over in my lane, right? Well, about the time I'm finishing getting into my lane, I'm looking back, and here's this car that was waiting for the squirrel. He must have gunned that thing and got right behind me, right? And I'm looking in my mirror, and he's talking to me. He's, he's, he's sign-languaging to me, you know. And it wasn't like, you know, I heart you, you know. And he wasn't telling me you're number one, you know, with both hands. I mean, this guy, if you took the emoji for road rage, his picture, if I could have captured it when I looked up, would have been road rage. And he did it all the way to where I turned to go into the church. Now, trust me, I was provoked, but I knew I had to teach this. This weekend. So God's going. <laughs> all right. All right. I don't, I don't know what just happened here. Why this guy's so out of his mind, you know, with me. But obviously, I'm just going to go and, you know, love is not provoked. Verse 5, love thinks no evil. Thinks no evil. Love has spent a lot of time preparing its mind and heart to resist evil. Love knows every form of evil. Verse 6. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It knows truth. And it, and it, doesn't, it doesn't rejoice or find enjoyment or entertainment in anything that is sin or anything that Jesus died on the cross for. See? In verse 7, love bears all things, Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails or it never stops. Now I'd like to put those last five things in verse 7 and 8 in a relationship context. Whatever relationship you can think about, brother to sister, sister to brother, husband to wife, wife to husband, parents to children, you know, employee to boss, Whatever, whatever relationship you've got going on, where there's something going on, let's, let's, let's look at the context now. 
and see what love is. Love bears that thing that you're dealing with, with that person. It's going to bear it. Love believes that you're, you're going to be able to get over it and find a, a good solution. Love hopes in, 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 in a good outcome with that person and a godly outcome with that person. Love endures that situation when we want to give up. And love never fails. Love never fails. You see, Jesus, while we were yet sinners, died for us. While we were contrary to him, he said, I'm going to bear with you. He said, I'm going to endure, and I'm going to endure the cross for you. What relationship do you, are you enduring for? Are you, are you doing that for the Lord? Are you, in, are, you, are, are you bearing for someone with agape love? Is maybe interjecting agape love into that personal relationship going to make all the difference in the world? But the last thing that you really want to do, because it's going to hurt, and it's going to hurt your pride, and it's going to be difficult. God's all into you humbling yourself, me humbling myself, and using his love to solve those kinds of problems. Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails. The body of Christ, together, working together, does not need to fail. Why? Because we're empowered by him. We're empowered by him. Look at verse 8 again. <clears throat> but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, Jesus Christ then that which is in part will be done away. These wonderful gifts and these wonderful things that we get to do to be Christ in a lost and dying world, they're temporary. Paul says they're temporary. They're temporary. It's gonna, there's going to be a stark difference when Jesus returns. They're good, and we need to be using them, but it's, it's, it's a temporary thing. Look at verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. A baby boy is male. And a baby boy might play with his rattle. If we see a 40-year-old playing with his rattle, something's not quite right. Right? That 40-year-old, hopefully, there's a stark difference there from the toddler. I know it's not always so, but it should be so. Right? Should be a stark difference. That's what Paul is saying. There's going to be a stark difference from the way we do things now and the way we function and the way that the gifts work to when Jesus comes back. In fact, such a stark difference, we can't see it all clearly. Look at verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... But then I shall know just as I also am known. You see, Jesus knows you and me. He sees us. He sees the inner workings of our heart and our mind and our soul. He knows what works best. He sees us, he sees us clear as day. He knows us. 
And to a certain degree, by his word and by his Holy Spirit, we can know him, and yet it's like looking through a glass dimly. But then, face to face, face to face. So what is Paul saying here? Why has he told us this? If you're so, and we are so wrapped up in our gifts and what Rocky Mountain Calvary does and, and our, our own personal gifts and talents that we can't, don't understand that what's much more important, if you had the smallest gift in the world and hardly any talent to give, but you had such a heart for love, such a heart in faith, such a heart that, that hopes, that's going to endure. That's going to endure. Look at verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The most indispensable thing, the thing you cannot do without if you're going to function the way God wants you to function, if I'm going to function the way God wants me to function, is love. This kind of love as described by Paul. It's here in our Bible. We have to deal with it. We have to deal with the fact that naturally we do not love this way. But when we invite God in, and we, when, he, when we invite Him to inspect us, and inspect what we do and how we do it, and, and to give us that kind of love, then He can do it through you. He can do it through you. Does your home run on love? As your car runs on gas, does your home run on love? If you're a business owner this morning, does your business run on love? If you're a ministry leader, does your ministry run on love? If you're a mom or a dad, are you running on love? Hope, faith, faith that he will do all he has said he will do. Hope that one day Jesus will restore all things to himself. Hope in him completing the work he started in us and making us complete in him. That's how we'll love best. And love, agape, the greatest gift God could ever give us. Agape love is the greatest mountain we can ever climb. It is the best remedy for the hatred of this world. It is the finest solution for every argument we will ever have. Love is the most comforting seat we can sit in. And love is the only thing that can make each of our gifts and talents work together to be the body of Christ to a lost and dying world. That's church. God's way. Are we entering in? Nothing's stopping us but ourselves. Some of you, it's hard. Say, if I love that way, I know what's going to happen. You see, because you weren't shown love. God's got you covered. He really does. And as you do it unto him and you believe by faith, God, if I sacrifice one more time, if I suffer one more time, you've got me. I'm going to let you worry about the results. 
I know that's a difficult step when you have not been shown love. Jesus didn't show you that kind of selfishness. No, Jesus, Jesus went to the cross for you. And he went to the cross for you to save you for eternity. So he's got you covered here on earth. And he'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. If we hurt his body, let's find our place and let's love this way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness and your love and your word. Lord, this morning, this weekend, the reminder of what really should make us go as a church and as people, as individuals. Lord, knit our hearts together. God, that we would be a church that fulfills your love mandate in the, in the world, in the city. God, I pray for those who, who struggle with this mightily this morning. Lord, those that you're speaking to and, and you, you want them to total, totally surrender their lives to you, that you might give them this heart of love. God, and we all need it. Even those of us who do a lot of this really well aren't even close to what you showed when you walked this earth and what you show through your Holy Spirit every single day. God, make us that. Change us into that. Lord, be gracious to those this morning that, that need it and need to be comforted, that need to be healed, that need to know how much it is that you love them and how much it is that you're for them and how much it is that you want to work in and through them. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.